Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. Somehow, in spite of every effort of shadow banning, known to man, you have still found our podcast at dredhill.podbean.com. We're so glad you're with us today. We are actually finishing a series entitled Pilgrims in Babylon. And in this series, we've talked about the fact that we as believers in Christ are making our way through a fallen, wicked world system that is not our home on our way to heaven. But you know, in order to do that, we have to be handling arrogance and ignorance. And that's the title of today's episode from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 18. I'm recording this on Sunday, January 17th, 2021. In the army, the army has a saying, last to know and first to go. And you know, ignorant people are just like that. Stupid people are the last ones to know. John Maxwell said there are three kinds of people in the world, people who make things happen, people who watch things happen, and people who wonder what happened. And there's a lot of people like that today. Somebody said that our two greatest issues are ignorance and apathy, but the problem is people don't know and they don't care. (laughs) I like humor. That's pretty good. But This that we're talking about today is no joking matter. Arrogance and ignorance can be a twin killing eternally. And as pilgrims in Babylon, we must ignore the arrogant as we inform the ignorant and make sure that we ourselves are not ignorant of some vital truths. You know, just like a 1960s Top 40 radio show When dealing with arrogance and ignorance, the hits just keep on coming. Jim Morrison put it this way in a biography that he started, but uh, passed away, uh, took his own life actually before it was issued. And the writer that he was working with issued it about 10 years later, but the biography was entitled, No One Here Gets Out Alive. Well, Jim Morrison was almost right because there will be people who get out of this alive when the Lord comes back for his church. We'll talk a little bit about that as we go forward. But I'm going to give you a $10 word alert. Warning, warning. (laughs) The word is the word uniformitarianism. Uniformitarianism. You know, when a, a team or an army wears a uniform, they all have on the same thing. They look the same. Some people make a massive mistake of thinking that, that, that history in the world has always been like it is now and thus shall it ever be. Everything's just going to go on and on and on. You know, nothing to worry about, spiritually speaking. I remember in my undergraduate studies... I took a geology class, which was fascinating. And one day in class, I asked Thomas Hanley, Ph.D. in geology, I said, Professor, so what you're saying is, and I was just kind of making this point to make people think. I said, so what you're saying is that at one time in history, the entire world was covered with water. And he looked up, and I'm not making fun. He just looked up and looked at me a minute. And he said, uh, well, yes, that's, that's exactly true. At one point, the entire world was covered with water. What a coincidence. The Bible says that actually happened. Yeah. 
Now, the world that we live in has changed dramatically since last week. Aliens may be next. Wow. You know, I, I believe if that were to happen, it would be demons. But anyway, we can talk about that at another time. But uniformitarianism is a mistake of thinking that as things are now, so they've always been, so they always will be, I don't need to get right with God. <laughs> Big mistake. And Peter is going to give us two examples of that. One is his history past, and the other is what will be history, but it's yet future. It's a cataclysmic universal flood, and that cataclysmic universal flood, you know of it as Noah's flood. By the way, every civilization in the world contains a flood story. Well, that just proves it's not true, Pastor Ed, because everybody has one. No. What it proves is there was an event that everyone, every culture remembers. It's been handed down, you know, as the Great Flood, a cataclysmic universal flood. And there was no way of escape except one. That was through the ark that God commanded Noah to build. And everyone who would enter the ark would be saved from the flood. Of course, only Noah and his family did so. Every other person perished because they would not repent. They mocked Noah, a preacher of righteousness. And so that's in the past. So the, the world that we see now is not exactly what was created initially. There has been a cataclysmic, that is a sudden event, a universal flood, and it was devastating. But in the future, there is going to be a catastrophic universal judgment. That is, God will strike down upon the world in a universal judgment, and there's no way of escape except one. And that's through Jesus Christ. Just as he was pictured in the Ark of Noah, so he is now and in the future the only way of escape. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 3, let's... Let's read this through one time. We're going to go back and break it out. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they are willingly for this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack, concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come 
to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting under the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking of them in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures, under their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye be also, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. All right, so let's go back and break this out. Let's see um, some things that, that we need to see today. What is it that we can learn from this passage about handling arrogance and ignorance? All right, well, let's look at that. Go back to verse 1 in 2 Peter 3, this second epistle. So we know Peter wrote another one, and that was 1 Peter. And, and we've already gone through that. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So in the first letter he wrote, uh, perhaps a, a year or two or a few years before, both that letter and this one, Peter's trying to get them, his hearers and readers, in, at his time, but also us, to remember some important things, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets. That's the Old Testament, right? Ezekiel, Daniel, Moses, other prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. So you have the Old Testament that we're to remember and the New Testament. So we're to, we're to pay attention to the Bible. It's funny how some today have said we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. Peter disagrees, and so does the Lord. Verse 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, and last days means the the end days, the days at the end, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, that, that means mockers, those who make fun of God and his word and Christians, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their 
own lusts. In other words, they're not following God. They're doing what they want to do. They're teaching and preaching what they want to preach and teach. And I don't think this is just confined only to non-Christians giving Christians a hard time. Um, obviously, that happens. I think this relates back to particularly the false teachers warned about in Second Peter chapter 2 right before this. So they are among the first. I mean, most preachers and teachers today will not touch Bible prophecy. And those that do make fun of it many times. Not, not all of them, but I'm saying many do. So if you have a pastor, a preacher, a teacher in your church um, who will teach the whole Word of God, including Bible prophecy, thank God for them and support them. Verse 4. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. There's your uniformitarianism right there. Did you see it? It went right by you, didn't it? All right, let's look at it. These false teachers and, and the lost world at large make a big mistake. They assume that what they see now has always been like this and it's always going to be like this. There's no judgment. There's no God. There's no reason to get all worked up. You know, live long and prosper and then you die. All right? Well, that's not true. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this, they willingly are ignorant of. In other words, they overlook this virtually on purpose. For this, they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. So the world that you see today, I enjoy nature, animals, flowers, all of that. I pointed out to other people and they just stare blankly at me, but I, I love that kind of thing. You know why? My father made that. I love it. But it's not, the, it's not exactly the same world he created at first. Why? Because something happened and that was a cataclysmic universal judgment that came upon the world. Um, it, it was a universal flood that we know of. And it was Noah's flood. You remember that? All right. Well, they forget about that conveniently, but that was a giant interruption between the creation God made at first and what we see today. And we can only imagine how beautiful the world was before the flood. Um, I'm sure it's diminished to some extent uh, after the flood, I would assume. And, and yet it's so beautiful even today. So, he says here the problem with uniformitarianism is it hasn't continued, you know, year after year, century after century, just like it started out, you know, since the fathers fell asleep, since they died. There was the great flood, a cataclysmic universal flood. And, you know, even as Dr. Hanley said, it's just like that. You find fossils in places where they shouldn't be. You find animals that have been preserved under permafrost that died instantly with, with uh, vegetation in their mouths that is still there. How'd that happen? You know, 
And so the whole world was covered once with water. Only Noah and his family escaped because they were the only ones who believed God. The rest rejected God and they perished in the flood. But the heavens, verse 7, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. There's, just as there was a cataclysmic universal flood in, the, in past history, in future history yet to happen, there is going to be a catastrophic, that is where God strikes down upon, there's going to be a catastrophic final judgment. And there's no way of escape except one, and that's through Jesus Christ, just as he was pictured in the ark that Noah and his family went into. Only by trusting Christ can someone escape this universal, catastrophic judgment that's coming. So, he, he says, just like the flood happened, sure as shooting, in the future, this final judgment will also happen, and the world will be destroyed by fire. Now, let's, let's see what a little more about that. Verse 8. Now, he goes back to the argument they had, like, oh, yeah, well, since, since this Jesus ascended into heaven, you know, he hasn't come back. It's been 2,000 years. There they go again. <laughs> what a mistake. Because they are assuming that God is trapped or confined to the space-time continuum as man is. Man is a creature who lives within space and time. God is the creator. He is other than that. He is out of that, above that. He's in charge of that, not confined by it. So Peter breaks it out right here. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now for you geek types out there, you realize that this relates in some way that I can't even explain to Einstein's reference to relativity and the passenger standing on the train platform as opposed to the passenger actually aboard the moving train. And you could probably explain it, but I can't. But anyway, this touches it a little bit there, and everybody can have fun and look that up. So he says here that God's not, God's not bound by time. That's what he's saying. So we say, but it's been 2,000 years since those angels promised that the Lord would return Literally, physically, just as he ascended, he will come back the same way. And you can read about that in Acts chapters, uh, chapter 1 there. So uh, go read that, and you'll see that. They promised that, and Jesus promised he would return. But it's been 2,000 years. Yeah, humanly, but as God looks at it, it's been a couple days, and he's on his way back. In God's heart and mind, it's already done, accomplished, finished. Pastor Ed, you're stretching my brain. Mm -hmm. Our brains need to be stretched. So just remember that. Don't, don't assume that everything 
that you see now that it's always been that way and always be that way. And don't assume that it may seem like a long time since the Lord has left, that he's not coming back. He'll be back and it's only been two days from God's perspective of time, that space-time continuum that he's not bound by, even though we are and we live in it. Now, Peter goes further and he says in verse 9, the Lord is not slack. In other words, he's not late. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. And God has great patience. It's, it's macro patience with us. But is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God God would have been pleased had the entire world repented at Noah's preaching and God did not have to send the flood or that many did and they lived with Noah even though many died, but they, they wouldn't repent. God doesn't want to judge the world in the future and, and lost people live eternally apart from him in a place that Jesus Christ called hell. But that doesn't mean that they will all repent. Some people use this verse to say that everybody's eventually going to be saved. That's not true. That's a mishandling of this. God wants everyone to be saved, but not everyone will be saved. They will, in other words, they will, they will not to be saved. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Now, how does a thief come? Well, he doesn't tell you when he's coming. It's suddenly, unexpectedly. But the day the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. There's your big bang theory. <laughs> shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Sounds like nuclear weapons, uh, fusion and fission, Right. Well, God, does, he could use those, but he doesn't need those to accomplish this. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Some have theorized that the, because the universe seems to be expanding, that at some point it will reach a point like a rubber band where it can go no further and it snaps back and boom, that's it. And there's non-existence. Well, that's not going to happen that way. But this, this is such a scientific explanation. And I'm telling you, it's beyond Peter's ability to do it. He was a simple fisherman. God inspired him to use these scientific technical terms. But that's where the world's going. Now, this doesn't get into the details in between now and then of the rapture of the church, the seven-year tribulation period, the return of Christ, the thousand-year kingdom where Christ rules the world on the throne of David from Jerusalem. <laughs> I know that's making some heads explode right now, but that's what's going to happen because God said it would happen, and it will happen just as he promised. So the Lord will return, and this world is heading somewhere that it can't even imagine. Verse 11 seeing that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting 
unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. You know, little man and little woman listening to this, and I include myself, we're not God. Only God is God. God calls the shots. And when we think about the houses and lands that we heap up, the gold that we heap up, it's all going to be destroyed. Verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, that word new, new heavens and new earth, it doesn't mean chronos like time. It talks about a, a new, like a, a better quality. It is the quality of it. A new heavens and a new earth. I mean, we've never seen anything like it is coming. There's a new world coming and it's not man that's creating it. It's God is going to destroy everything we see and God will institute a new and improved quality of heavens and earth. Watch this. Wherein dwelleth righteousness. In Greek, it's the idea of where righteousness is at home. If you're a true pilgrim in Babylon, making your way through a wicked, fallen world system, on your way to your heavenly home with the Lord Jesus Christ, you know that you are not welcome here and living the right way is not welcome here. And this is becoming so evident. The Unless something dramatic happens soon, <laughs> in the next few days, unless it happens, then in America there will be officially sanctioned government persecution of Christians and churches. Oh, Pastor Ed, what an exaggeration. You watch, you watch and you see because righteousness is not at home in this fallen Babylon. Verse 14, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Why hasn't the Lord returned yet? Because every day he's not come back. First of all, he's not going to be late. He'll be right on time. But from our vantage point, every day he isn't back yet is another day of grace, of salvation to someone to trust Christ and be saved eternally rather than lost eternally. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Now, did you notice he mentions 
under their own, uh, uh, excuse me, as they do also the other scriptures, that means that Peter is including Paul's writings as scriptures because he says the other scriptures, meaning Paul's are included. You follow that? And the idea that some have that the Bible was written, you know, haphazardly over, you know, like, uh, you know, it was formed in 400 AD or 1200 or whatever. That's just not true. Peter knew he was an apostle and he knew that his writings and Paul's writings were on equal authority as the Old Testament prophets. So, well, how, where do you get off saying that? Go back and look at verses 1 and 2, uh, or verse uh, 2, rather. That ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, that's the Old Testament, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. That's the New Testament. You see that? Old and New Testament. And Peter wrote some of that. And Paul wrote some of that. So the Bible was formed in Peter's mind. You know, I know John had not written the Revelation yet, but the bulk of the New Testament was completed before Peter died. Peter died, we believe, around 68 AD. We believe it was in Rome, crucified upside down, uh, felt unworthy to be crucified just exactly as the Lord Jesus was. So as early as 68 AD, Peter recognized Paul's writings as Scripture, part of the New Testament on equal authority with the Old Testament. That's interesting. That's not my main point in this episode, but I wanted you to see that. But he says even Paul wrote about future things and the false teachers and people who are immature just get all messed up with it, can't handle it, and, you know, is to their own destruction. And we shouldn't be like that. We should understand it. And he's going to say that here in verses 17 and 18. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away, you know, like a planet, a planet just wandering off its path and shooting out into space, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. In other words, you don't want to end up where you're living in doubt and fear because you're not understanding what you should understand. But... So what should we do? Verse 18, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Well, that's what we should do. We should, where, where do we do that? How do we do that? You, you're doing it right now, partially. Every day when you read sections of your Bible, you're doing that. When you're thinking about what you've read, when you memorize Scripture and you think about that and let the Lord give you insight, as you deal with Scripture, you are growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, hey, get into the Word. Amen? Well, I hope you see better as pilgrims in Babylon how we are to be handling the arrogant and the ignorant and make sure for sure that we are not ignorant of some things the Lord wants us to fully understand. Now, for some of you who are listening today, this may be the only time you've ever listened. Maybe you've listened some. Maybe you stumbled on this 
don't even know how you found this, but you listened. The greatest personal cataclysmic, catastrophic thing that could ever happen to you personally is your own death without Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. It would be, wow, yeah, you may be thinking, when you're dead, you're dead. Well, you'd be wrong about that because you will live forever somewhere. That's the whole point of why Jesus Christ came to save people. Hell was created for the devil and his angels. But if people reject Jesus Christ, they reject God the Father and God the Spirit, God the Son, and they continue in their lost, sinful condition, they can't go to heaven. They'd ruin it. They have to be kept somewhere, and that's hell. Jesus does not want you to go there. He wants you to be born again, to be saved, become a new creation in Christ, and live with Him forever. You need today to turn to Christ in faith, ask Him to forgive you of your sins, and to come into your life and be your Savior and Lord, and to give you a new birth and save you. And if you mean it and you do that, He will keep His word. You may want to speak with someone, and I'm going to give you a phone number that you can call to come to Christ or to discuss how to grow in your new faith in Christ. 877-247-2426. Call that number today, and someone will help you with your spiritual concerns and your spiritual questions. Well, I thank you for listening today to God's good word, uh, excuse me, to this week in the word. I used to do a program called that. But this week in the word, which is hosted at dredhill.podbean.com. Tell others about it. Invite them to listen. Again, it's my honor that you listened in today. May God bless you as you grow in your grace and in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.